You are listening to the Ivy Podcast. Learn from the thought leaders in areas of strategy, innovation, negotiation, and all things leadership. We interview the Ivy League, Fortune 100, and top startups. Now, here's your host, John Karsibayev. Hey, my name is Chris Hodges. I am the founder and CEO of GoGig. Chris, thanks so much for finding time to join us on the Ivy Podcast today, this afternoon. Can you tell us a little bit more first about your background, where you come from, your career you know, path, and, and then I'd like to spend a few minutes talking about your current company. Yeah, absolutely. So um, going back, uh, graduated from Purdue out of uh, management school there in, uh, in 2010, um, quickly just kind of accelerated my career into a, uh, you know, into a sales path. Um, where uh, I found out that I was uh, pretty good selling things and separating people from their money, working for a medium-sized B2B software as a service company um, out, of, out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, just due to some you know, corporate culture things and me wanting to make an advancement in my career, I ended up jumping into uh, the prepaid wireless world, um, <clears throat> running growth uh, you know, at, at a you know, prepaid wireless company, uh, marketing sales, customer retention, revenue. Uh, for a brand that was, you know, doing just north of 650 million in, in annual revenue there uh, with about a million and a half customers. So we grew that uh, pretty quick. Um, that company obviously went through an exit and, uh, you know, I managed the brand after, you know, post acquisition. Um, uh, and then uh, went back to school, got my MBA at University of Florida. And during that MBA program, conceptualized what is now GoGig, uh, jumped out into into that and and here we are, uh, all she wrote. Awesome. Well, that's pretty exciting. Quite a path you yeah. went through. Uh, so yeah. tell us a little bit more about GoGig. What more specifically curious, what problem are you guys solving with your products and services currently? And what, what motivated you to, to start this company? Yeah, um, you know, the, the, the premise of, of the business, the underlying technology is that we thought of, uh, wanted to apply uh, anonymity or remaining anonymous um, in talent acquisition. Um, so, you know, the premise of anonymity removes the implicit bias in hiring. So it removes all discriminatory practice uh, based on age, race, ethnicity, gender, country of origin, religion, and veteran status. Um, so that way candidates don't have to feel uncomfortable coming into our platform, feeling like they might be discriminated against in any way, shape, or form if they're a protected class citizen. Um, also at the same time, it focuses on upward mobility and career transition. So like you're, you know, you're an experienced professional, you're in a job, um, and you want to advance your career safely without, you know, your boss down the hall, breathing down your neck. So, uh, using the uh, premise of anonymity, it helps more of that experienced passive job seeker that wants to safely input their career desires, focus on more of the human elements of what makes somebody up for who they are um and allow them to safely do that so it focuses on a different type of job seeker that would join our platform than what you would traditionally see on a typical job board site um problem really the idea was conceived um sitting in the back of the room of a finance class in my mba program not paying attention um when uh you know and, and at university of florida a lot of those people in an executive program are passive job seekers. I didn't know what this was at the time, but there's a bunch of people, there's doctors, lawyers, engineers, you know, folks of all walks of life just kind of sitting in the room, um, paying 78 grand to get three letters at the end of their name to advance their career. So 
um, when they did that, you got, you know, they wanted to connect with the alumni. They're paying a premium to be a Gator. So they wanted to connect with other alumni that are smart, that had graduated from there. They're making lots of money and grow their network. And, you know, they complained and complained and complained that that wasn't happening enough to where they sent the career services team in. Career services gets up in front of the room and says, a uh, pretty underwhelming pitch about here's this job board site you can go to to apply to jobs or you can drive all the way to Gainesville and um, go to this career fair that nobody wants to attend. And uh, that was it. So I, you know, there, there just wasn't any, there, there wasn't a, a technology that bridged that gap that really helped this type of professional that wanted to, you know, lean on their alma mater, remain anonymous, establish warm conversations without formally applying to anything because these People aren't really active at job seekers. So um, sparked the idea, wrote the algorithm, uh, built the team, and then you just kind of, you know, go, go down the path of uh, jumping into the deep end from there. Okay. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty interesting. Pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty unique story. And immediately, as you were telling me a little bit about your experience, you know, going, going through the university and graduating, you know, I've went through different institutions as well, went, you know, in Montana, did the NSU here in South Florida, did Harvard, and I can relate, I can relate on different levels as far as, you know, utilizing the alumni network and then having the platform in place that will really allow, you know, provide for these opportunities to not only leverage your, your, your alma mater network, but also when it comes to job seekers and being able to to target and build relationships from that standpoint. So that's pretty interesting. And when you when you talk about the anonymity aspect of this, tell, tell me a little bit more about this. What, what does that mean? Is that in terms of being able to anonymously build a profile, specify what my career interests are, and then also be able to target particular companies and job, job employers? Is that is that the premise? Yeah, so it um it there's there's two different ways to answer your, your question. The first is like um blind resumes, there have been studies about blind resumes for years where it's like, hey, if we take the name off of something, you know, does that remove selection bias? Where Caucasian males that look like me get selected fifty percent more often than protected classes. So they did studies to say, okay, if we scrub the name, does that remove that selection bias inherently from the equation? The answer is it kind of does. But a savvy recruiter, uh, a lot of the folks that you've had on this podcast, can Google two pieces of information from a resume, even if you scrub the name off of it, and figure out who the person is. So uh, LinkedIn attempted to do this, where they turn the switch on, you remain blind to your current employer, and you can input everything you want, how your next move, nobody's going to figure it out. But they got sued for that. Bunch of uh, you know uh, employees turned the switch on. LinkedIn or uh, HR employees were making LinkedIn recruiter accounts under fake names and seeing all the employees at their organization that were searching. So when we saw this sort of just unfold, they, you know, quickly figure, you quickly figure out that you can't just make a blind resume. You have to make a truly anonymous platform to collect a unique set of data. So that's what we did. We just, when a candidate signs up, there's no revealing identifying information. We have a unique subset of profiling questions They'll look at the career history elements up until today, which is what a resume would have, but it's anonymous. And then we allow the candidate to safely input their desires. So it's all forward thinking. They're like, hey, here's these levers that are going to, you know, if they came to me, would get me to intrigue, you know, want me to take a conversation about something potentially better than where I'm at now. So we allow the candidate to safely input those desires about compensation, location, all the things they're satisfied or dissatisfied about. 
what they would admire about our company's culture, all of these things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to safely do, you know, with a, in, a, in a different platform. So anonymity unlocks the ability to collect unique data that doesn't exist on a traditional resume. Uh, we then apply an AI component that analyzes a writing sample of a candidate between 200 and 300 words. Uh, we extract the candidate's communication style from it using natural language processing, look at their human elements of what makes them up for who they are, and then can correlate that to how they might perform culturally at their next organizational move as well. So it's a more robust data set, all anonymous, based on career desires, cultural fit elements, career history elements, and hard skill sets that makes you know this more robust snapshot of the person, and we can do it in two to four minutes. So um, uh, that's kind of how that works. Okay. All right. That makes perfect sense. That makes and I can see, um, you know, being being in the staffing world as well, where where this could be a problem, where this could be you know the actual need for this type of service, especially you know coming from the corporate side, where I was you know I was a candidate, I was you know an employee of an organization, and I really want you know was going through the job search process, and I can definitely relate to how this kind of this anonymity aspect uh, could, you know, could benefit the job seekers and also help protect, I guess, some of the, um, you know, employers from from certain certain areas. So that's that's pretty interesting. Um, Thank you. From a standpoint of, you know, you, you guys are building a product, you, you, it, you know, I'm in the same boat. We have built multiple startups, multiple products myself, and the need for continuous innovation is, it never stops. It never ends. And for you, at the you know the founder and the CEO of your company, what are some of the strategies or initiatives in place that really help you foster and build that culture of innovation within your company? Yeah. Um, so the main thing is um, application. Uh, you know, I run a pretty flat organization. I mean, it's not that that's not very atypical of most startups, right? So everybody on the team has a say. Uh, and I, um, I'm, I'm a very big uh, sales person or sales individual. I like, you know, growing. That's what I've done my entire life is I'm a growth person. I, I wrote the algorithm, but I'm not an actual coder. Um, I have a, an engineering team that takes care of that for me. So I turn to my sales team largely to figure out, okay, where can we apply our technology and sell it in an area that you know, doesn't really exist. So we we took recently, um, we started white labeling our technology and getting out of just being a human resources technology company. So, you know, when raising money and stuff like that, you know, a lot of, you know, investors were coming and saying, well, you know, HR tech is too competitive for me. I don't like it. I don't want to invest in a company that's in that competitive space. And I go, okay, well, why don't we play in ed tech? Why don't we go play in government tech? Why don't we go play in some of these other areas that aren't, you know, we're a human resources technology company, but how can we take our core intellectual property and then apply it to different verticals and sectors where nobody else is playing? And we, you know, and we test it by using sales. So, you know, we let the sale, I let my sales team run rampant and just say, okay, let's start selling this product. Uh, let's launch a new product or think about launching a new product into, you know, education tech where we take our technology, we white label it, we'll build a University of Florida branded platform powered by GoGig for the alumni associations. And we'll sell it to alumni associations to allow them to connect to hiring companies on the other side. And then the sales team tests that, right? The product doesn't even have to exist. We start just pitching it, pitching the concept of it. 
uh, to them and then letting the market give us the feedback. So we'll do 10, 15, 20 sales calls, let, you know, see what the, you know, the feedback, you know, not really trying to sell them a product, but just get the market to tell us whether or not they want it. And then uh, use that to back that into the strategy of, okay, this is a real thing. Let's go, let's go build it. Let's go build a, you know, a, a piece of technology. We diversify our product lineup and then it shields us from the environment that's going on with COVID or, um, you know, where, you know, uh, we might not have as much success with one product. If there's an economic slowdown, we might have an uptick in, in some other areas. So I let the sales team and the growth team really go out, test something. We shoot first, ask questions later, and then back that into an actual real life strategy to see if the market actually demands it. Mm -hmm. right, right. No, I love these examples. And it's, you know, personal kind of passion of mine uh, when it comes to innovation, uh, building and fostering cultures within the organizations when it comes to innovation. One of the, you know, favorite books I've recently read, read is, you know, the uh, experimentation works by, by Stefan Tomke. And he talks a lot about, you know, the different case studies where leadership and really top-down approach to create this environment where people feel empowered, people feel, you know, uh, the autonomy to not only bring ideas to the table, but also actually take that idea run it through the pilot, experiment with it, and then see the results. And if something does make sense, makes an impact on the ROI, then you bring it to the actual implementation. So those, you know, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. from, from your standpoint, I'm sure you research, you, you try to stay on top of your industry or the latest trends, ideas, what's coming up next. Um, personally for you, what ideas and trends that, that excite you lately? What are some of the trends that you observe perhaps thinking about you know, investing further uh, or capitalizing as far as, you know, the times we're going through right now and what are you, what are your personal predictions for what's next? Right. Uh, so I, I love seeing that companies are putting diversity, equity, and inclusion at the forefront of their businesses now. Um, we've been screaming and shouting that since September of 2016 when we went live into market and nobody was really doing that. Um, now companies are investing lots of dollars into it. Um, I will say that there's a lot of businesses that don't know what to do with that money yet. Uh, they, they, they brought in talent to manage it. They've got money deployed for it, and now they don't know where to put it. Um, so uh, I think they're moving in the right direction. And I, you know, I think that there's a lot of negative things that happened in 2020, but it got people's eye. It, it, you know, it dropped the veil to get people to start focusing on you know, that aspect of their business. Um, I, yeah, so I love the diversity uh, aspect of the business. So from not just like race, ethnicity, and gender, I, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to people's minds, right? But uh, supplier diversity, right? How can we go, how can we do business with more small businesses? So if you go talk to somebody in supplier diversity at a large entity, um, they're focused on, okay, how can we, how can we do work with more startups? Um, that, you know, uh, I'm a Caucasian male, I run a startup and they want to do more business with, you know, uh, with startups because we're small and we're innovative and we take a different approach to things. Doesn't necessarily mean it has to replace the oracles of the world every single time, but let's give these other little guys a try. Um, so we're, we're starting to see that happen here in, uh, at the end of 2020 and more into 2021. And I think that's really going to benefit the economy. Uh, as things start to open back up, regardless of whether or not we're working from home or working from an office, I think it's going to foster um, innovation and tech advancement. Right, absolutely. I, I love that example because, you know, with the whole entire workforce shifting to 
remote, uh, the whole hiring, onboarding, you know, candidate selection, it's, you know, the dynamic has shifted and the kind of the need for, for innovation in this whole diversity and inclusion aspect of that, I, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that trend actually even growing even further. So that's, that's a great example. Um, when we when we talk about um, so for twofold question for you as a founder as you know as a CEO of your organization I'm pretty sure it's a 24/7 job when it comes to spotting and surrounding yourself with with the winners with with the best people and that job never ends that job never stops it it doesn't matter if you're going through the hiring phase or you know you're going through the budgets you always on the lookout. Uh, for the best people, tell tell me tell me a little bit more about the strategies that you employ that really help you find winners, really allow you to attract you know the top talent to your organization. Um, so one of the things is, um, first of all, I, I I drink my own Kool Aid and you know, use my own platform. So there's a big advocate. Uh, I'm a big advocate of 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 that element, but I'm going to put that aside. Um, one of the biggest things, so, you know, because I was a sales and growth professional my entire life, it, it really allowed that, that was where my bread and butter was. So making sure that I developed, you know, built a team out, um, and focus on communication style for that hiring was something I already knew how to do. But the one learning experience that I got, um, for, was that I needed to dip my toes into was building, uh, an engineering team and focusing on culture for engineering. And that was an area that I didn't have much experience in. Uh, so by starting, uh, you know, with a, a chief technology officer that could help educate me on building a culture in engineering uh, was was one thing that I could, you know, learn, you know, heavily from. So one of the things was, okay, if you, it's, you know, the culture isn't just people talking to other people and putting a foosball table in, in your in your office and letting people have work from, you know, home balance or work life balance. It's, it's the actual coding infrastructure in the engineering team has a huge impact on who wants to come work for your organization because engineers attracting the top talent, they want to come in and create. Um, so if they're able to come in, your coding infrastructure is in the most cutting edge coding language and they can come in and build and create and focus on research and development instead of squashing bugs all the time. <laughs> Uh, then that's going to be an environment that people are going to want to come into and stay in. So when we invest our, our capital from our you know investment money from the technology side of things, it's always forward looking. So how can we take our AI to the next level? What sort of new models can we use to predict um, a certain aspect of a, a type of candidate? One of the things we're building right now is a military translator that can translate military skill sets to where uh, a, a layman's term you know, civilian can understand what somebody did as a military officer for 25 years wow. um, in, in a jargon that's easy to interpret. So, you know, my engineering team and my research and development team, they have fun building stuff like that. Obviously, we have bugs in our system, but by just just by having that there, when you have somebody come in and interview for you and they're the best React, React Native developer, when you tell them that you're in the process of building something like that, that you can then go take to Department of Defense, that's going to be really cool, right? And and that fosters you know uh, you know innovation and things that are forward looking. But um, so we're always trying to you know stay on our toes and break things and 
um, and get our, uh, you know, that was one thing I did not know about engineering until my chief technology officer really educated me on that subject. Sales, completely different. That's my area of bread and butter. But that's that's one example that I think I learned kind of on the job almost. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. Right, right, right. No, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. And as we take the this process further, the candidates that you select, uh, I'm pretty sure they go through multiple rounds of interviews, some assessments, and so forth. For the candidate candidates that that get to your level, they interview with you. Give us a glimpse of an interview with Chris. What does that look like? Do you tend to get creative with it? Do you take him for long walks around the lake, or take him to, <laughs> you know, to we hear all these stories, take him to the to lunch and see how they act if you know the order is is messed up, stuff like that. But all jokes aside, just curious, what what does the interview with you look like? And more importantly, what do you look for in some of the responses when you hear from from the candidates? Uh, so it's it, it's very much behavioral, um, and I I don't focus on um, I, I don't believe in in resumes. So it you know interviewing with me is not that intimidating, right? I'm it's it's mostly. Uh, I obviously try and get to know the person. I will take them out to lunch, take them out for a couple of beers, get to know the individual quite well. Um, so that way I can, you know, the first thing I try and notice is that are they are they going to answer my text messages at three o'clock in the morning whenever I wake up? Um, and are they going to actually enjoy being, a, you know, a part of this type of organization that is, you know, going to be, you know, moving at the speed of light all the time? So. Um, once that happens, you know, the hard skill sets, if they're there, they're there. If they're not there, you know, there's, there's things that we can learn because as a, as a startup, like I don't have the, you know, $200,000 a year base salary that world fuel or, you know, Verizon wireless can afford to pay. So, um, you know, I, I, I focus on that. And then I also ask, I, I want to make sure that everybody that comes to work for GoGig has a full concept of I am very transparent about what our valuation is, what a stock option vesting schedule is, and what it means to own equity in the company. Um, and do they value that? Because if somebody comes in and the first sign that you know the that they want to negotiate is the base compensation, then that's a huge red flag for me. If somebody looks at you know compensation in terms of their equity and they want to accelerate their vesting schedule to make sure they get more equity faster in the company. Those are things that I want to look for um, because it makes like, they, you know, I want to give more of that to the, you know, to my employees because it's going to make them feel like they, they own just as much as, you know, as the founding, uh, the founders do. So I make sure they understand what, you know, a convertible note structure is for an investment vehicle. They know what preferred stock means. They know what, you know, single and double trigger acceleration means. All these different buzzwords uh, for actually owning equity. Because then they'll know what that means the, the second that, you know, we go get acquired for hundreds of millions of dollars or something like that, because then they benefit and they help the company try and work towards that goal. Very interesting. And I like that approach as far as, you know, especially when you're in, you know, when you're a startup and you're just starting out, it's, you know, not only the kind of you're competing with the bigger brands, but also just painting that picture, painting the story, really what's what's compelling along with the opportunity that this brings, I think it makes it uh, makes it a unique challenge. Um, as far as the most kind of in demand and the very, very hard to find skill set 
in in your type of environment what 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 would that be what are, what are some of the most challenging skill sets that you encounter to be scarce you know in this market um i uh, i'm from an engineering side of things uh front end developers are really tough right now um you know getting access to that that type of tech talent that work, wants to work on the front end is something we've you know it's hard to come by, I guess, in, in our world. Um, so a, a lot, we're encountering a lot more engineers that are trending more towards want, wanting to work on the back end of the product. Mm -hmm. um, uh, on the, on the sales side of things, it's, um, it's also tough to, you know, get, you know, a lot of sales professionals uh, that want to focus on shorter sales cycles and, and things like that, where, you know, the sales cycle is two or three months. Um, with some of our products, especially when we sell them to government, they can, you know, nine months up to an entire year for longer term contracts. So for B2B software as a service, it's it's tough to, you know, find sales talent that wants to focus on some of that longer term, you know, bigger revenue type deals that we do focus on here um, at at GoGig. Um, outside of that, it's um, it's it's been. I think uh, the pandemic has un opened up a lot of doors for top talent all over the country. You don't have to go to Silicon Valley anymore to find the best tech talent. Um, I feel I still think South Florida is lacking a little bit, but I, I do see places like Austin, Texas, um, places like Charlotte, North Carolina that are emerging with tons of amazing talent for, for tech. Uh, so I think it's actually gotten easier in that sort of respect not necessarily harder. Right, right, absolutely. And you know, with 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 workforce shifting to completely remote, I'm pretty sure that that opens up a lot more opportunities to to target you know remote folks. But at the same time, it inc also increases the competition because every other company is now you know probably offering that same same perk, same opportunity. So that's you know it's a unique unique dynamic, unique challenge. And uh, it's it's going to be interesting how things will will play out in the next year. They're um, all on GoGig, John. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 absolutely. And last but not least, Chris, uh, what are you what are you currently reading? And what is you know, if there is a podcast or a book that you always recommend to others, uh, what is that? Just curious, where where do you get your information? What is your source of uh, so, source of information, source of learning. What do you What do you use, and what are those? Um, so uh, I'm a huge Joe Rogan fan. So um, I don't use that as an entire end all be all source for information. Um, as you know, he's a comedian, but I do that purely just to get away from the startup life all the time. Um, because there's thought leaders that come on there that, you know, just, you know, bring a, a nice smile to my face. So I use that as a form of escape. Um, uh, there's, uh, <clears throat> the book that I recommend to almost all entrepreneurs. And I mean, and this is a pretty common and typical one is, uh, the lean startup only, and really, there's an example in the book where somebody built uh, a guy builds like a you know grocery matching coupons to you know local grocers, um, and then he builds the company off of actually manually doing that. So um, you know we deployed that strategy here at GoGig. Our product didn't work for a little while when it was early on, so we had to hand deliver candidates that were vetted 
um, from GoGig to the client because our algorithm was broken. It was still in the process of being built. Um, but they were paying clients, they got results, they made hires from it. And then we can, you can use that revenue to continue to build. So um, startups don't always need to go raise outside capital. It's the moral of the story that we get from that. So um, the book that I'm currently reading right now is The Coddling of the American Mind. I haven't even started it yet, but we'll see how it goes. That's awesome. Chris, thank you so much for your time today, for your Lent expertise. Very short and powerful conversation. Definitely looking forward to staying in touch with you and uh, best of luck and keep us posted. You got it, man. Appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Ivy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed on ivypodcast.com and all major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iTunes. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating on iTunes.